I must find some way to attend to these women properly. I believe the French have had quite a bit of luck using their tongues. This is the Extra Hot Grape Podcast, episode 84 for the week of May 21st, 2012. I am catch-all diagnosis David T. Cole, and I'm here with quote-unquote neck massager Joe Reed and buzzer beater Tara Ariano. Three points! (laughs) Oh, oh, that buzzer beater. Uh, Whatever. I was going to say three. I was going to say it's good, and then I thought that's a football thing. I didn't want to mix metaphors. Right. Um, so this week we were presented with several options at the theaters, Boy, two of we. which were your two who is into this movies right. of, of the summer, which were The Dictator, which opened on Wednesday, right. and What to Expect When You're Expecting, which opened yeah. on Friday. Um, so that left us with, because obviously no one was going to make anyone see either of those right. once you were on the record right. with your, in <laughs> ra- just with your rage. Yeah. <laughs> so that left us with... One movie that was a colossal thrill ride of explosive, wet, um, sea, Satis- seawater. Satisfying <laughs> I action. Don't know. Yes. Yeah. And the other was Battleship. Right. So we decided to see Hysteria. Yes. And, um, you know Hysteria, everybody. Hysteria is the, yeah, when we did our, um, our summer movie preview, you yeah. were like, we're just going to glance on the art movies. And then this right. week, we like actively counter programmed it, except. Dave and I went to see Hysteria yesterday, the, the first show of the morning. And then as we were leaving, I was like, but now people are saying Battleship is kind of stupid fun. So Dave right. was like, let's go see it. So we <laughs> did. So we'll touch on that after, as it were. First, yes. let's touch on Hysteria. Uh, uh, Hysteria, is it based on the play? I forgot to look at the credits. It is actually not based on the play, although the play and it obviously overlap in a lot of ways. I actually right. saw the Which play saw. in the next room or the vibrator play. Uh-huh. I always like titles that have the or <laughs> such and such. Sure. And such. Um, no, because it, it tells a slightly different story. The vibrator play sort of starts where the thing had already been invented and it right. was more about like the applications of the uh, therapy. Mm-hmm. The therapy at this point is they invented the vibrator to help women basically deal with what was depression, but they were calling it hysteria well yeah. depression insert any number and, of and nervous conditions yes exactly as dave's as dave's uh and ennui and yes. ennui dave's, right. dave's intro suggests it was a catch-all hysteria was a catch-all uh yeah. diagnosis for things that brings ladies down exactly well and i'd forgotten because you sort of like go into whatever like oh because a hysterectomy is mm-hmm. whatever it's like right. they blamed it all on the uterus they right. were like these women are having problems because they have uterus an overactive is uterus right. that's what it was that apparently can cause Every problem that a woman can experience in 1880 Victorian England. So they invented the vibrator to basically give women orgasms to deal with their problems. Uh, Paroxysms. I'm sorry. Which basically in the movie, it makes it seem like the reason this brings you relief is it's like a sneeze for your genitals, basically. (laughs) If I may. I'm I'm not a doctor. Right. Um, I'm no scientist. Right. I was just imagining that as sort of a... Um, 1980s Lifetime-esque movie title <laughs> treatment, but for yes. the ad. Yeah. Right. And then the lady says, a sneeze. <laughs> yeah. <your gender." laughs> so the movie takes place... Um, in 1880, as they the, clumsily yeah. exposit. And Hugh Dancy is sort of the young idealistic doctor who... Who knows about germs. Crazy ideas about germs <laughs> are bad for you when everybody uh-huh. else is just like, apply a leech and get on with it. Right. Like, take some, some snake oil tablets. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so he decides... he 
basically his last resort of employment is this doctor played by Jonathan Price, who yep. is uh, has this uh, method for manual stimulation mm-hmm. of women's genitals to arrive at these paroxysms. Sure. And he has a very successful practice. Yes. With a lot of repeat patients. While at the same time, this very, very fortunate and like basically like at the crux of history between mm-hmm. this therapy sure. and also his friend Rupert Everett has invented yeah. a mechanical feather duster. Mm-hmm. So you can connect the dots, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, and find out how the vibrator was invented. From yes. There. And then there's also a subplot with uh, the doctor has two daughters, one right. of whom is perfect and the other of whom is a rabble rouser. Oh, I was going to say one of whom is perfect and one of whom is a wet dish rag played by... <laughs> well, whatever. Jones. I mean perfect in quotation marks. Yes. She's yeah, the yeah, angel yeah. of the house, right. as he puts it. Yes. He says his lovely late wife, Melodia, oh, right. died. <laughs> so she took over all the housekeeping yeah. tasks. Yeah. But that, that one is played by your favorite actress, Felicity Jones, Ugh. and her giant front teeth. Yes. <laughs> her sister is uh, Charlotte, and she is um, like the manager of this... Yes. Basically the, the period equivalent of a homeless shelter. She's the sister suffragette from uh, Mary Poppins. Yes. Even though, and I think when she says that line, there's okay, spoilers. Yeah, oh, right. Like anyone's gonna see this movie. (laughs) Spoilers a ho, fun ahoy. So when she gets arrested finally, because she, she, in fairness, defaults on a loan. She does. A cop comes to take away her friend at the who's come to the party, this the engagement party to tell her, right? And then she punches a cop and gets arrested, as you should. Hey, she takes her prison, don't punch cops. She does, yeah. Um, but she's, they talk, when she's in court, they talk about her previous arrests and she says something about she was distributing suffragette leaflets and I was like, ah, 1880? And then in the New Yorker review, it's mm-hmm. confirmed that was not a term that it was ever used before 1906. Uh, so this entire movie is bullshit. <laughs> Terminology cop is on the case. <laughs> yes. This time it was, I was, I was deputy to Anthony Lane who wrote that review. I forgot to check the IMDb after I got home. The guy who plays the whatever, equivalent to district attorney. He's Brutus from Rome. Thank you. <laughs> that that was the, the exact thing. scene that played out after the credits. Okay. Dave, Dave <laughs> said, well, Dave said, who was the, and I said, it's the woman from extras. He went, no. Oh, right. <laughs> it's her I got. No, the guy. The barrister. And, then, and then before he even could say barrister, I said, it's Brutus from Rome. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He was also in funny. Casino yeah. Royale. He was like M's assistant. I yep. kept picturing his face being like much more pained and like, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, distraught. Yes. Yeah, that's it. And with a worse haircut. And with a worse haircut. I mean, he could have had a bad haircut. He had a wig on in Right, court. right. Um, so yeah, this movie, as we were leaving, Dave said he thought it was going to be more of a drama. And I was like, yes, the okay, very serious I, matter uh, wait, of wait, killing wait, wait, wait. off women in Victorian <laughs> England. Okay, we say it like that. It makes yes. me sound quite the fool. No, no, I'm but just joking. I did not know anything about this. I didn't even know who was in it. Right. right. Um, and yeah, Dave was very, very nice to just go along with this plan. I right. didn't think it was, um, you know, a, a a capital D drama. I just thought right. it was like a period piece. Sure. You know, maybe. Which it is. But it was more like Downton Abbey it's than it was Howard's End or something of, like that. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. it's sort of this. I feel it's like, like. a moment in time. I feel like we're Americans. We have a default indie movie where it's like sort of shambling single people in their early <laughs> 30s. Like trying to figure out their shit. Mark uh-huh. Duplass kind of stuff. Yes. The British default indie tends to be sort of this or the last station or yeah. like this kind of period piece but it's there's frivolity and there's like you know whatever like issues but nothing's taken like too terribly seriously mm-hmm. enchanted april even and that yeah. kind of stuff yes. um 
It also made me think, before we get into like the performers and the story of it, anytime anybody's like, what time period would you love to live in if you could uh-huh. live in any time period? And people are always just like trying to be fun. It's just like, oh, the whatever. I love the past. I would love to live in the turn of the century. That seems like such a wild, fun time to live in. It's filthy as fuck back yeah. then. Do the people first, say that? Well, not that specifically, but any okay. really any previous era. We're living in the cleanest era of all time <laughs> right London, now. London. Everybody needs to appreciate that. And we all live that. in New York, so that's saying something. Right. Everybody needs to appreciate that and anytime any farther back unless you want to go to like pre-industrial era mm-hmm. which has its own problems let sure. me tell you it's just going to be dirtier than it is now who wants the first scene in this is somebody stepping in horse shit and yeah. then people do it like six more times in the movie yeah it's also any gross. any city of any size yeah up into the turn of the century basically you know reeked of shit yeah and a couple years before that it just smelled like stale piss i mean that is that yes. is i would like the to see urban world i would like to see some sci-fi show where they deal with time travel where somebody <laughs> gets sent back to like the early 1900s and the entire plot is just them throwing up the entire time because they can't like get their bodies regulated yes. to the stench of it all not like even everybody just else the stench, is. but i'm sure like whatever you eat or drink is going to be contaminated that's too. true like there's this the, the idea of public sanitation was still several decades uh, this is my this Doctor point. Who spec script. It's just, they go back into 1900, and it's just a half an hour just of puking in the gutter. Poisoning. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to go further off tangent, just because uh, <laughs> I'm reading this book right now called The Traveler's Guide to Medieval England, I think uh-huh. is the title. Uh-huh. And uh, one point of interest, to back up your what you're saying, Joe, is yeah. um, they're saying in many towns in England, there is a place... That used to be called, very few still called, Shipbrook. <laughs> sure. And it was the place where you took out all the yeah. buckets of shit from Ugh. your house and threw it in the, in the river. Who and that needs became known it? as Shipbrook. So, yeah. Yeah. Aye, yeah. Aye. Anyway. <laughs> but point well taken. You know, you want uh, to live with medicine. You do. You uh, want to probably live... Probably want to live with air conditioning too. Come oh on. God, yes. that's a pretty big one for that us. Is. Yes, please, Lord. And, uh, and you they don't wore want to so live many, with so much rivers clothes of urine. back then. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, back to the movie. Anyway, back to the movie. Yeah. yeah, even Maggie Gyllenhaal, who dresses pretty sensibly, you can see underneath her blouses she yes. has a corset on. Oh, totally. That's bullshit. I'm always uh, uh, speaking of Maggie Gyllenhaal. I'm always sort of nervous for American actors when they adopt an accent, but they're starring alongside mm-hmm. a people, British person, actual British people. Yes. And I thought she did really well. I did too. That I was thought one she of the was the most engaging person like her character was the most interesting character sure but she was I always wanted her on screen rather than the other characters I thought she was the most interesting and she really did a really great job I just love her voice yeah that's true I could just like close my eyes and listen to her talk yeah. with or without the accent right totally yeah I'm not sure if I entirely bought the romance between her and Hugh Dancing when he Who like cares? proposes to her at the end or whatever but yeah. like Dave goes oh no <laughs> Okay, right, I don't wait, wait, have to say no, this. No, that's fine. No. I just want to preface by saying, <laughs> I just want to preface this by saying, I have, and everybody can back me up, zero to maybe 0.1 gaydar. I did not realize <laughs> this that. This is more subtext dar, I think. But right. Dave was like, I thought she was going to end up with the super rich guy. I was like, I think they made it pretty clear he's not into ladies. I, I did <laughs> pick up on the context clues. <laughs> yeah. I'm just glad nobody in this room is gay. And can, also, like, was Rupert Everett's character supposed to be a peer of Hugh Dancy's character? Because I know he's got a lot of work done, but not that much. Yeah, no, not that much. No, they I, did a good job covering up his the horrors of his face yeah, with a beard. Yes, they actually mustache. did, and that actually, and thank God for that. 
Um, Although his eyes, and are it still did remind me that I still like, for as much as Rupert Everett has proceeded to annoy me by being himself for sure. the last like fifteen years, mm-hmm. he's still a fun screen presence sure. in that kind of role, sort of Absolutely. like that blithe, sort of like it's tossing like a, off bon mots. Yes, and, like, he's whatever. a tertiary he's character yeah. at best, and that's yeah. fine. I think if you wanted to fan wank it, you could be like, well, Hugh Dancy was like a friend of this person's rich family, so yes. like whatever. That's yes, fine. he was the much older right. ward brother or sure. whatever foster yeah. brother, I guess. Yeah. Um, and Hugh Dancy, I think, is really good in a lot of. He's so likable. He's super likable. You really feel bad when he hurts his hand, <laughs> jerking <laughs> all these women down off. His hand. But that was the first thing that I was thought a when good he was refer- like recurring joke. Though. It was funny, but then the the patient comes in, and I in my head was like, his hand's gonna be freezing, and then that was actually a plot. <laughs> yeah, they finally did that. That's yeah. unpleasant. Yeah. Um, the comedy was very, very broad comedy. Uh, the yes. audience full of old ladies that I oh, saw when were eating it up with a spoon. Ours too. Yeah. And not only just like the the sexy stuff, but like yeah. when there's a part where Maggie Gyllenhaal's character like runs into Hugh Dancy on a bike and they both fall. And there was right. someone in the front row that was like, ha ha ha. Like not just laughing, but like guffawing really super loud. Like yeah. it's not that funny. Yeah. <laughs> And it, this movie also does that thing where people say things like, it's 1880. We're supposed to be yes. on the cusp of an electrical revolution or whatever right. the hell. You're like, all right, all right, calm down. I did like the And all the, gag. Like, the stupid, like, you know, anachronisms where it's like, germs, you're stupid. Yeah. You know, we get it. <laughs> yeah. Like, this, I, now, yeah. The, now we're in the wedding singer territory right. in yes. terms of making farts hey, out of the time period. Yeah. I anyway, liked the uh, the progressing joke of the one scene where uh, the engagement party, where mm-hmm. Felicity Jones shows up in the ridiculous wig, and every yes. time you see her, it's, it's more and more askewed yeah, and tilty off of her head. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, for her character, that really was. I mean, she was supposed to be a drip, but like, and she was. Yeah, and she she really was. Yep. Um, and then at the end, which you could see coming from like a mile away, the Queen yes, Victoria of gag. Yes. But like, I mean, good. Good, good enough, Queen Victoria. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, there was the sexual politics were slightly. Inter- I thought the that was the one thing where I thought, and again, the vibrator play was more serious in that way. Mm-hmm. Although that was certainly had its comedic moments too. Yeah, but in terms of like dealing with the sexual politics of the treatment, rather than like, I feel like Maggie Gyllenhaal was dealing with sexual politics of like every kind right. in terms of like for the right. record that was sort of the movie i thought it might have been yeah right. sort of the you know uh, device as feminist object yeah. Sure. yeah plus in the vibrator play they use the treatment on a man so hmm. that's fun hmm. um but i liked I, I enjoyed the movie i'm not on his probably neck, right yeah yes it's a neck <laughs> massager as i said quote unquote um i will probably not remember this movie very no. much in a little bit but no. i enjoyed it enough while it lasted kind yeah, of like again fine. like the last station in that way where it's just like it's fine this mm-hmm. one's not going to get to acting Oscar nominations uh, like no. The Last Station inexplicably did. No. But um, it was fine. All right, Battleship. Yes, talk to me about Battleship, you guys. Okay, so Tara, <laughs> you left and I believe you said that was sort of like a C- minus for me, which I was kind of surprised because I thought as... And I, I did have some issues. I did have... <clears throat> I did have some issues. <laughs> but I thought it was... Hey, spoiler this too. Now we're talking about a different movie. <laughs> so appropriate now the hornpipe naval spoilers <laughs> aho naval fun ahoy um okay yes. so uh it I've, starts out very charmingly yeah tim yeah. riggins is delightful sure they established for early on that he's a fuck up and that's why he ends yeah. up joining the navy however much like homer simpson sure however his brother is his brother is played by Stellan Skarsgård. What? Whose American accent is, let's say, spotty. Sketchy, yeah. It's, it's not the best. <sighs> what were you going to say, Dave? I was going to say, as, uh, as a statement about popcorn films, mm-hmm. 
we as a society need <laughs> to agree on a popcorn to length ratio that yes, works for everybody. That's a really, really good. I am not a crackpot. The running time of this film is 131 minutes. Wow. It was too long. too long. Yeah. And for a film that is this mindless, yeah. let's keep in mind that it is a film based on a plastic right. game board. Right. And, and say, at the beginning, when the title screen comes up with Hasbro, you're like, uh, oh, don't remind me. But it's not me. even like it's based on like a comic book or something that they no. were like, well, we had to get all of this <laughs> in origin. where the fans no. would riot. Where did, like, where did the battleship was come a from? Grid. And spoiler, right. they do. We had to get like A7 in. Battleship <laughs> didn't do. care anything. The Battleship didn't care about anyone or anything until they, <laughs> they killed his mom, San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> but but basically this movie, okay, it's it needed to be about 95 minutes. You know, that's yes. about the, the length yeah. of this, yes. um, this yeah, film. Yeah, of course. Uh, Peter Berg, the director, mm-hmm. uh-huh. doing his imitation of a Michael Bay film, complete mm-hmm. with... Uh, way too detailed robot CGI stuff right. where there's like, Who you know, cares? why one rivet when 2,000 per square inch will do? You right. know, it's like that kind of thing. Um, and it's a shame because I have liked his other popcorny movies in the past. I thought The Kingdom, for what it was, was oh, very yeah. entertaining. Was and of fine. course, he's behind Friday Night Lights, so he gets a lifetime pass. Did I tell you, me. though, about the before I saw... Uh, Dark Shadows last weekend, Tyler and I went, and mm-hmm. the commercials before the previews. Yeah. They had one this ad for Battleship. And oh, it was I saw Peter you Berg, tweet about it. And it was Peter Berg <laughs> giving these interviews, and then these, like, naval officers, like, huh. talking about, like, the things that they did on the movie to make sure that the realism was exactly right. Yes, and this is like, exactly what we would do in an alien attack. I was going to say, God, God forbid that the movie about alien robots <laughs> living underneath the sea that come to attack the world is in any way inaccurate. Yeah. I will say there was a lot of stupid fun in yeah. this movie. It just was too long. Like yeah. if they edited it and condensed it, it would have been a much better film. Like, like it, it is complete with... Actors, you sort of know, right. book ended by the guy they spent the money on, Liam Nielsen, who appears at the beginning. Oh, yes. One 10 second scene in the middle, and then at the end. Like, basically, oh, book- he appears at the end. That was going to be my question now, they're in the spoiler zone. I was He's- like, how soon does Liam Neeson die in this movie? No. He is Brooklyn Decker's dad. Oh, Brooklyn Decker. Anyway. She's the love interest. Uh huh. So that's why he's at the beginning because. So he's hard because, on Taylor Kitsch because. It's, right, because Riggins is, Riggins is supposed to ask him permission to marry the daughter. Uh, and God. then the world explodes, he doesn't get a chance, and then it comes up again. So again. he's. Liam Neeson is Bruce Willis. Yes. Brooklyn Decker is Liv Tyler, yes. and Taylor Kitsch is Ben Affleck. Yes. I see. Right. This movie, yes sir, yes sir. <laughs> I said this on Twitter, but really, giant kudos to Peter Berg for actually creating a action set piece that just revolves around finding battleships on a grid. Mm-hmm. They actually <laughs> baked actually that into it. the movie. They're not yeah. battleships; the alien. Ships. Oh, the alien ships. Yeah, yeah. well, whatever. But they found alien. a way, and it was pretty clever. Yeah, I guess. But it was just like that. Really, I mean. Who was going to not forgive the movie for not having, right? You know, no something one. But it's cool that they figured out a way to work it in. I guess it seemed really. What happens is <clears throat> this: everything as it, as the movie starting before what, the alien attack. Just to say, I'm impressed that they shoehorned it in. Yeah, yeah. the scene itself, I didn't think it was no. that great, but I was just like, no. But you guys, you did it. Yeah. Like, right. Exactly. That's the face you're supposed to make yes. that you just made. <laughs> All right, you got me. Yeah. So the, as the movie begins after the opening set piece where. Riggins is super fuck up before yeah. he becomes a medium fuck up. Right. He it's like some kind of naval exercises in around Hawaii, around yeah. Oahu. Right. So first of all, I was like, for God's sake, spare Hawaii, please. <laughs> God damn you aliens. 
so then there's like there's all these like navies from all these different countries are all in the same water because they're getting ready to do these war games again also like homer simpson yes but then shit starts happening and so the one smart thing i thought they did was almost immediately basically all of the ships are taken out except for one because there's no way you were going to keep track of like seven different destroyers. Right. And so then the other the other contrivance that keeps Liam Neeson out of it, because my my guess of how that phone call went was, all right, I'll do Battleship if I can be in five minutes or less. Yes. Non-consecutive <laughs> minutes. They were like, all I right, have we'll taken work it two out. to film. So <clears throat> exactly. So yeah. so they the when the aliens land, they put up some kind of force field so no one can get in or out. Yeah. The, the only Riggins and his boat are trapped in it. Yeah. And so that's why, even though Liam Neeson has the the ability to like scramble planes and all this other right. shit, you occasionally get shots of the Pentagon where they're trying to figure stuff out. They can't do anything because there's a force field, right? Naturally. So that's <laughs> the one thing that I thought they did fairly well was like they reduced the scale of it sure. because you couldn't yeah. possibly keep all that other shit straight. No, and they'll they'll if if this they end up doing a sequel, it'll be a big giant naval battle. In the oh, sequel. they'll do a sequel. Okay, one scene I want to uh, point out that I thought was just like. So jingoistic and awesome, and oh, there and, were a lot. Yeah. It cl- this is one of those movies where they clearly had a lot of cooperation from the from the, Navy. From the military, yeah. and so they were like, "Let's make sure we make sure everyone knows America's great." Yeah, they all the battleships have been destroyed, um, and most of the alien battleships have been destroyed. But there's still a single threat left, and they still have to neutralize a target. Blah yeah. blah. So they go back <laughs> to the USS Missouri, which is basically just a floating museum at like this the point. Intrepid, right? And that's the only ship at their disposal to take out and blow the thing up that need to blow up. But they don't know how to work this thing. It's 70 years old. Right. In come the old God, vets. Galactic all over. Wait, in come the old know. vets. Two, Thunderstruck. Oh, God. Old vets. And they're like shoveling coal. No, not really. But whatever. All the equivalents of like starting to steam engine up. And, but my <laughs> one. Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman, and the ghost of John Wayne. You know, I can't. Even though I, I, I do great popcorn flicks on a sliding scale. <laughs> yes. I, I, you know, I do have problems with tiny little things that bug me. Mm-hmm. Which is, where did they get the ordinance for the super old ship. They just say in the movie, yeah, we yeah, found we some, some lying around. <laughs> like, Where? Like it was in my backyard. Did you go to like Walmart has a special section for battleships in Hawaii? Because, right. y- you know, that they don't probably use the same kind of shit, you know, now they did in the Korean Also, War. how yeah. did they get hold of all these guys? Like, granted, they were all in town because the beginning of the movie, they're dedicating <laughs> but, the sure. ship but, to be a, mu- a museum. But then all of a sudden, they're all back. Yeah. Like, did someone call the, them? The best part of that scene where you realize that they're going to be recruiting all these vet, these you know, 60, 70-year-old yeah. vets to run the ship. The greatest is that generation. as he's having the idea, they're showing all the vets all along the ship, and they're just standing in the they most are. random places. Like, like there's one guy on top, top of the, of the radar. Or something. <laughs> Seriously, it's ridiculous. But then Dave was like, was I don't know why they felt awesome. they had to include the old veteran equivalent of rap and grannies, but that's when oh, I no. realized... I'm fine with it when it's yeah. old men. Oh, so you have when a double old, standard. Apparently yeah. I do. How can you live with yourself? They didn't rap. <laughs> they swore. They just fucking saved the world. Okay? When did a rapping granny ever do that? All right. Uh, Rihanna is terrible. I'm sure. She cannot Super act. terrible. I'm sure. She's very pretty. Uh, sure. Of course. Sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, it needed to be half an hour shorter oh, and it would have been least. much more enjoyable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. I can't 100% recommend it. Like yeah. I said, C minus. I can recommend it if you're not paying much for it. Right. Yeah, go, go, go before noon for a six, $6 show. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right, it's time for the can and Tara. What do you got? 
I have uh, Peep Show Season 7, Episode 3, titled A Beautiful Mind. Tell us why you chose it, Tara. Well, I'll get to it. (laughs) So I have to thank the listeners who recommended that we watch Peep Show all those months ago. That's Joel. Joel Joel, Thank you, Joel Cunningham, because Dave and I loved it from the start, as you all heard in the almost entirely British episode. (laughs) We totally gorged on it, and we got through the whole series, seven seven seasons, short seasons, but still, Mm -hmm. in like a matter of weeks. Mm -hmm. And then we were at the end, and we were sad. Um, after which I turned around and I started again from the beginning. Did you really? Yes. Nice. So when we got to the end of season seven together, um, I knew I wanted to choose an episode for canon consideration. And when we set this week's topic on hysteria, I felt I had a thematic contender. <laughs> can so, I can I interject? You may. At this moment. I was wondering what you were going to pick because yes. to me, this show is the most evenly produced, acted, and written sh- show, I mm-hmm. mean, of length yep. that I've ever seen. Like yes. the characters that they are in the premiere are the characters and the tone and everything at the end of series seven. Yes. And their circumstances change, but they're still basically the same. Yeah. And usually for a show that goes on that long, um, you fall back on uh, like friends moments, you know, mm-hmm. when friends has those moments yeah. where it's yeah. having fun and then it's the serious. It's, yeah. yeah. It's time to look out the rainy window. Yeah. Right. That never happens. Yeah, on it never happens ever. in the show. So I was, I was interested because it's so even, it's hard mm-hmm. in my mind. Is like, which one would I pick? I could pick any of them because yes. they're all very funny, but they're all consistently almost at yeah. the same level. So there were a few. There were a few episodes that I considered, mm-hmm. and then I rejected them in favor of this one. So Joe, since I know you have not watched it since the pilot, here's right. just a little bit of backstory that I'm trying to keep. Out, no, I'll keep it. as unspoiler as possible because I do think you should watch it. Yeah, I definitely season, plan to the series. Um, if you want to watch the 40 some odd episodes between the last episode you right. watched and this one. <laughs> so Mark and Sophie have gone through some significant ups and downs and are definitely not together at this juncture. Right. Instead, Mark is dating Dobby, who was the IT person at JLB until the branch closed. So now everyone and then everyone got laid off. So Mar- uh, Mark is waiting tables at a Mexican restaurant managed by Gail, who is now the wife of the last unavailable woman that Jeremy was in love with in the previous season. Uh, and Jeremy has since moved on to a new unavailable woman, Zara, for whom he's pretending to share an interest in foreign films, modern dance, and other artsy shit. <laughs> but no matter how hard he fakes it, he can't really push Zara too hard because Jeremy has also managed to get a job at a music industry adjacent website, which pays well and is kind of cool. And Zara is dating his boss. Right. So the B-plot, I will dispense with first, revolves around another of Jeremy's attempts to impress Zara with how much they have in common, but making through Amelie was one thing. At least then he could fall asleep. Uh, Zara's latest activity will require more of him. I've just got a call around my book group, guys. Paul's ill and can't host it, and Ben's holding his poker game at mine. Well, you could have your book group at my place, and I could fill in for Paul. You'd have to read the book pretty quickly. (sighs) No worries. Hope it's Mr. Nice. I've read Mr. Nice. It's Wuthering Heights. Right. Doesn't sound like another Howard Marks book, but fingers crossed. Oh, brilliant. Great, then. Okay. Well, why don't we... Fuck hard right here, and then kill Ben? (laughs) Grab a coffee? Super. I just want to interject. The production gimmick of the Peep Show, just if you're not familiar with it, is... Just, just Peep Show. Peep, well, the show, whatever. Just stop correcting me. <laughs> is that the whole thing is shot from first-person point of view. Right. right. So, you know, when one person's talking to the other, it's the close-ups, sort of little fish-eyed lens. Yeah. And you also hear all the inner monologues. So all these clips, including the one you just heard, you're going to hear... 
in a slightly different again, yeah. breath. Just Jeremy and Mark. Yeah. We don't hear other people. No, no, no. But you hear, but yeah. you hear them. So yes. that's, that's, and, and it sounds gimmicky, but really like halfway through the first episode, you, it just stop becomes, noticing you it. get super used to yeah. it. Yeah. 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 So Mark is pretty sure that Jeremy won't be able to hack Wuthering Heights. There's a scene which I didn't clip where Jeremy comes home with a book and Mark's like, is that a book? <laughs> what are you going to do with that? Like, what? I read books. I read Mr. Nice four times, whatever this book is. So, um, so Mark turns out to be right. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy ends up reading and rereading the same four pages yeah. for three hours because he can't concentrate a book on, let's be honest, is a slog. Sure. Especially at first. It really takes a long time to get going. Heights, Ugh, I believe you. It's not my favorite. Yeah. Jeremy asks March, Mark to teach him how to read, not literally, <laughs> but just how to not let his mind wander right. so much. And Mark tells him that the first step is that he has to turn, turn off, off the, the TV, TV, which underlines the innate suckiness of reading. I'll just say it. <laughs> no one else is going to. Jeremy decides that he's going to take the book out to the balcony yeah. because it'll be cold. He'll have no distractions and he won't fall asleep. Right. But some hours later, he has to wake Mark up and tell him that this hasn't worked either. I can't do it, Mark. It's 372 pages long and I'm freezing. My legs. So what I was thinking was, could you read it for me, the stupid olden days book, please? I'm not staying up all night reading Wuthering Heights. Please. I'll do the washing up every day until I die and then my children will do the washing up after that. <laughs> Look, I'm broke and, and you're relatively moneyed, so... Are we doing a deal? A grubby deal, like oil men or corrupt counsellors. Deals happen every day, Jeremy. Buying a Twix is a deal. Paying for the toilet at Euston is a deal. I'll read the book, I'll look at some online criticism, but for a price. You massive prostitute. I'm not a prostitute. Now, please get out of my bed. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's so we'll put a pin in that for now. Yes. That's the B plot. Yeah. Let's visit the A plot. Mark is dating Dobby, as I said. Um, whom he's just recently won away from a much cooler, better-looking guy named Simon. And though Mark is happy, being Mark, he can't help spinning nightmare scenarios about their imminent breakup, he thinks. And it doesn't help when Dobby mentions in passing that Simon's mother is ill, this ex-boyfriend. Right. Primarily, Mark is worried about his sexual prowess, so worried, in fact, that he turns to Jeremy for advice. Jez, I'm, I'm slightly worried that Dobby might still be in love with Simon. Yeah. Do you mean, yeah, you think she is? No, no, I mean, yeah, I'm not really listening. Sorry. And I'm worried that I, I might not be... What? L look, you know the actual the act of intercourse? Oh, my God, you're asking me for sex tips. Pass me that carver and the big pack of Tyrrells. It's a girl's night in. <laughs> what would you say was the average amount of time before the man unleashes hell yes yeah I, I want the average amount of time the mean no no the mode or, or median stings probably thrown the mean out for everyone else well it depends mark <laughs> it often depends on you know where you are if you get me no no i, I don't want to hear about the bum jeremy <laughs> I, I know for you it all revolves around the bum you're like the copernicus of the anus you've got to know about the bum mark otherwise it's like only cooking with the hob and never using the oven the bum is the secret portal. It's not much of a secret, though, is it, Jeremy? <laughs> Be honest. The bum is quite, if you'll pardon the image, an open secret. <laughs> so you think you've uh, lost your dirty mojo? Yeah, I am a bit desperate on that front. I mean, I've even bought a... What? Nothing. A what, Mark? So, cut to Mark's cut stock to. drawer, <laughs> where an item is revealed. Blimey. It's a dildo. <laughs> I've bought a big dildo. How big is it? Nine inches. It's a nine-incher. Thought it might spice things up. Trouble is, I, 
I find it quite intimidating as a man. I mean, look at it, it's like a leg of lamb. <laughs> so I've decided to call it Kenneth to take the curse off. Kenneth? Yes, my colleague Kenneth. Shall I fetch Kenneth? Meet my sexual associate. Kenneth makes him less daunting. And has Kenneth seen action? No. I mean, it might be the sexiest thing ever, or, or it might be a massive disaster. Dobby might hate it. So, for now, you stay at Bryce Norton, Kenneth. I don't think you're ready to enter Hellmand yet. <laughs> I love... I love how respectful Jeremy is yes. in the scene, too, because it's like the scene is clearly so crazy that yes. he can't even make fun of him. Oh my God, anyway, <clears throat> so later that day, Mark gets fired from his job at the restaurant for being about to pee in a pot of jalapeno sauce, right. putting an even bigger crimp in his plans to take Dobby on an extravagant weekend trip for her birthday. So when they're next in bed, it seems like the least he can do to make up for his financial shortcomings is to bring Kenneth into the mix. But just as he's about to deploy him, Dobby finds out that he gets, she gets a text that Simon's mother has died. So she leaves to go and comfort Simon, though just as a friend, and Mark considers a counter move. Could I say my mum's dead? Would Dobby maybe believe that long enough for me to go home and shoot mum? But he lets her go. <laughs> and when they reconvene the next night, as Jeremy's getting ready to host Zara's book group in the next room, Mark tries to probe Dobby for hints that she's going back to Simon, but she sees through him and tells him in so many words that this isn't going to blow up unless he blows it up for himself. And she suggests that they go back to her place and get in bed Enter Jeremy. They're ready, Mark. Yes, uh, something else has come up, Jez. I, I, I can't do the book group. No, Mark. We made a deal. Remember? A grubby deal. You've got to defeat Ben. I need to renege on the deal, Jez. I really have got something else I'd rather do. Mark, I need you. I haven't read the book. Jeremy! So Jeremy very reluctantly takes his place and Zara invites him to start because it's his place and he's barely managed to get out some BS about Wuthering Heights as a love story before Ben starts in yammering on that it's not a love story, it's a fuck story and so on. Yeah. Mark listens long enough to hear that Ben is basically plagiarizing from the same materials that he read and intervenes. Wuthering Heights is so obviously an exploration of, you know, wild elemental forces. The Jeremy's right, he's a shit. Can we go in for five minutes, Tom's? an ode to dark passions, a kind of savage, savage rhapsody. Sorry, Ben, very easily done, but I think you might accidentally be giving opinions from quite a well-known online essay on Wuthering Heights as your own. Fuck you, sure. Mark's going into bat for me. I haven't understood the book at all. Wuthering Heights isn't a hymn to lust and passion. And he's really good at this, unlike any game actually involving a bat. <laughs> nonsense is, and how it inevitably has to give way to real life and real love. Wow. Blimey, Mark, you sound like an intellectual, like Tony Parsons or something. This is what I was born to do. It's like Robert Robinson fucked Joan Bakewell and they had me. So Ben storms out, Zara calls for a break, and Mark and Jeremy share a quiet moment of mutual congratulation to close things out. Thanks, mate. It's all right, Jess, I'm just off to Dobby's, and I don't think I'll be needing to be friends with Kenneth anymore. Okay. Do you think Kenneth might have been made redundant? Indeed. Uh, I think Kenneth can take a hike. <laughs> <laughs> Kenneth is what Mark calls his nine-inch dildo. <laughs> the aristocrats! Yeah, seriously. So, <clears throat> that's the last line of the episode, and, and even though we said before that a lot of times you're going to be hearing the interior monologue, that was not. He told yep. a whole room of people that don't even know Mark yeah. that Kenneth is his nine-inch dildo. Oh, amazing. 
So this episode has a lot going for it. Mark is in a rare state of happiness, but not contentment, of course, because he is suspicious of his own feelings and only ends up more neurotic than ever. There is no greater proof of his anxiety than his purchase of the dildo, obviously. Poor Jeremy is legitimately confused about his unusual situation, too. Happily employed but about to sabotage at any second for a chance at Zara. Um, and in the bookstore scene, he asks himself, why can't I have everything I want all the time? Isn't that democracy? Which is as good a summation of Jeremy's character as any single line we ever hear in the series, probably. Yeah. Uh, with his possible exception of his ode to the bum earlier. Yes. Dobby's cheerful acceptance of Mark's circumstances only makes us like her more, even if we may wonder if she's actually too good for Mark. Right. And the payoff of the super hands crack kicking <laughs> subplot, which I didn't really touch yeah. on, is perfect. It That's is. the perfect amount of super hands and the perfect way for that plot line to end where yeah. <laughs> he's he's kicking she's trying to kick crack. He tells Mark to keep his like his last yeah, rock his and last his crack pipe rock. in like a manila envelope and says, don't give this to me, even if I hit you like with wood. Yeah. So later in the episode, he comes back to the door and he's like holding a piece of wood, <laughs> like crack, please. Mark gives it just to him. Gives he it leaves to him and, and then goes, throws the wood. Yeah. But it's like not even a bat. It's just like a piece of wood from a construction site or yeah. something. Yeah. So great. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, I picked this episode not only be because it contains a nine-inch dildo. Yeah. But because I'm pretty sure all the other events of the episode were arranged to pay off with that final line. Yep. yep. And I am totally okay with it. Yeah. But yeah, I like. I, and the other thing is like these, as Dave said, these characters are so 100% themselves and that's yeah. definitely true in this episode too. And I, I also like how the change in their circumstances has kind of changed their friendship and it, it's sort of foregrounds one over the other. And, right. And, and, but this episode shows them actually helping each other, which is fun. Yeah. I kind of wonder in the production office how much time they spent choosing the dildo model. <laughs> 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 it seems somehow, I don't know, fitting. Like it was like this very straight and narrow dildo. Yes. The veiniest no. dildo in the universe. Sure. Yeah. It was but more like vain no bells than... bells and whistles, no like... No. It was just just there and it's not a vibrator it's nope. just a dildo right. yeah. there's another there's an earlier episode where somebody is confronted by a woman with a strap on too oh, which is all i'll say but there's no intimation of that in this this one either. yeah um yeah i'm glad you mentioned the super hands bit because that was just like the perfect little comedy moment and yeah. and just the way when he knocks the door and everybody knows what's going to happen of course. you know like right. super hands in my ear here's your rock yeah, and mark now is not going to fight him no. well and i love how what it says about mark too where it's just like he accepts this thing because he wants to try and be a good friend because that's sure. the thing a good friend would do but also when push comes to wooden plank in someone's hand right. he's just like take it and like, it's beside the door right like, he knows no, this right. that's the other thing is like <laughs> he was waiting for this like there's yes. no way i'm taking a beating no. to keep you off of crack no. take your crack the other thing that I didn't touch on is there's there's another moment where this guy comes to the door selling like cleaning supplies yes. and, and Dobby is there so he's Mark doesn't want to like just cheap out so he's like I guess I'll take the feather duster and yeah. he's like 11 pounds and he gets mad and then that guy shows up in the restaurant right. and again it's Mark's cheapness yes. that causes him to get so angry at this guy for sending a meal yeah. back that makes him want to pee in the sauce right oh god but yes. there was you know yeah. I couldn't I to that moment, there was a lot looks, in 23 episodes just looks at his minutes. boss like, I'm fired yeah. I, I'm, I'm sacked, 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 I'm right? sacked yeah. I bet I'm sacked <laughs> yeah you know Joel who originally uh, tipped us off to the show um, said and I think it's a pretty good nutshell summation of the series is a lot like The Office, but with zero sentimentality. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it sort of is. I mean, that's, there's, that's, there's, there's more very nuance. Very rare moments of heart. Sort of. Yeah. But always in very, the service. But always in the service of uh, somebody getting crushed. Yes. Yeah. Right? It's not always for undercut sake. by events. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, like I was saying before, if, if you hear somebody explain Peep Show, to you and you you know it's it's sort of this first person point of view and you hear that you know you'd be tempted to think oh wow that sounds really 
trying yeah. you know, really Faye. But it really does that whole conceit. It normalizes real quickly. Really quickly. It doesn't seem like a gimmick at all. And it really, like to get inside Jeremy's head is such a delight. <laughs> yes. Because he's like one of the best characters to come out of Britain in a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just love, he's like, he's like, he's, he's on one side of the ledger. You don't want to be friends with him because he's filthy and dirty and has super bad habits. But he's also strangely loyal at times, yeah. but then also very self-serving at times. Yeah. Like he's, he's, but he works as a character. Like he's not just a bag of right. contradictions. He actually has yeah. an outlook on life. It just happens to be very lazy. Right. It really and it's not works. like Mark is a great friend either. Like no. they both sell each other. I identify sometimes a little too much with Mark, especially when he's <laughs> like, he's reading his ancient Rome novel <laughs> and, and like comparing things to, you know, like, oh, well, you know, Augusta did this, you know, did this and that. And like, oh, shit. Writing business secrets of the pharaohs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I love this show. And this is, as I said, I think you could have picked any any episode um, with the same effect. I, I would definitely say yes. I would say having picked one episode from such an even show that I think we could close the book on any future peep show canon entries almost, you know, because I think uh. it's so, well, I mean, only to illustrate that I think it's so even keeled. And, you know, what would we have? Like almost 50 episodes, I guess? Six, 40, 42. 40, yeah, right. They're shooting, they're shooting season eight this summer. So they're going to end up with about 50 by the time they're done, 50, 55 or yeah. so. And if they can like maintain in the last two seasons, it'll be an amazing, you know. Accomplishment. Yeah, it will. It really yeah. is. Like, it, like to watch all the seasons in a row. Yeah. And you could watch the end of the episode and go back to the pilot. And it doesn't seem like the proto version of an ep- of the show like so often happens when you go back yeah. after a while like you yeah. know if you watched uh, friends or, right, right. or whatever you know it doesn't seem like quite the same thing or like right. even cartoons like futurama or something like mm-hmm. that you yeah. know it seems really different so yeah. um yeah good choice as it's on theme yeah exactly yeah but i think as i'm saying the show is so strong i think you could have picked any episode i would have voted in there's yeah. another one that i had in mind but i don't want to say what happens in it because i as i said i want joe to watch sure. the whole series. yeah um, it's interesting. It's going to sound strange when I sort of lead with this, but like my, the thing I always say about David Milch and David Milch's shows mm-hmm. is that I like a show like Deadwood succeeds for so many different reasons. It's yes. like it's plot and it's everything and acting. Everything's fantastic. But I, what I love about his shows generally is that, and I didn't watch Luck, but like I like the sound of his characters when they speak his dialogue. And that's why that's what got me through John from Cincinnati. And mm-hmm. I'm one of the few people who like that is I like sort of the, just the melodious way that their, that dialogue sounds and this character sound when they talk to each other. And that's, I feel like a mark of a show that I really love. And this show has that in spades because Mark and Jeremy talking to each other, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what it's about. Mm-hmm. I just love to listen to their interaction yes, because it's such a specific kind of like comedic dialogue and like back and forth. And it's really, really, fun so really in that way it kind of doesn't matter what the plot of the episode is because i know they'll make it funny just by the two of them going back and forth yep um i thought it was a really fantastically funny episode i loved the parts where jeremy kept saying the same things about amelie yeah like well the colors and the woman <laughs> and like, yes he couldn't find exactly specific things to say about amelie yes um i love because he fell asleep in the middle of it um and I love just how much he hates uh, ben. his boss, Ben. Yes. Um, but also how much he's like... Ben is a dick. His inner monologue about like he got the promotion at the job and he's just like, he's like, why can't you suck a little bit more? So Why can't you, why must you keep making my lovely job lovelier? Yeah. 
Yeah. That I loved. Um, I absolutely just like, that's such a great character. And, and Mark is super, super fun too. The way he sort of like his brand of self-sabotage where I think because you can hear his inner monologue, mm-hmm. the self-sabotaging characters can get really, really frustrating. Yes. I feel like that's a lot of my problem with girls, actually, was just like, we have to put up with this self-sabotaging character so, so much. And I think the thing about Mark is you can hear his inner monologue. You can sort of like follow his weird thought process, yes. which doesn't make it better. No. But it adds another layer to but it. But it, it makes the character, like Dave said, it, it helps sell the character because you know them inside and out. Yeah. yeah. Literally. Yeah. Um, it's just, I don't know, a lot of really funny stuff. The stuff with the crack rock, like you said, was fantastic. <laughs> I love just the name Kenneth for the dildo is really funny. Like, I love that kind of thing where it's just like a very commonplace name. Yes. Um, and I mean, in terms of like representative episode from the series... I'm going to trust you like I not having seen it, but I can totally see between this and the pilot, how it's just sort of, like you said, even keel and any episode could be a representative of it because it's kept, you know, this quality. And I, it's absolutely on my list of things that I'm going to go through at some point. Yeah. Each individual episode like stands on its own, I think, but it also has story arcs for each season. Sure. Sure. That are, I've, I've really tried to soft soap what happened. And I also love that you can still enjoy the reveal of them. I love the point where, at the end, where Mark realizes that Ben is full of shit, and he's sort of like, he turns to Dobby and is like, can we just do this for five minutes so I can, like, eviscerate this guy? Yes. And I I was glad that he got to have a moment sort of in the sun. And Jeremy's reaction, too, is like, fuck you! Like, we've all had that. Because, and I also feel like, because British shows can get really, really into just beating down their characters all the time. And it's like, I like when the show is willing to, it's it's not so wrapped up in, like, this ethos of pain and awkwardness. Yeah. But they're like, you know what? The story calls for it. We're gonna let them lay it down at this point. Yeah. And I really like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, Joe, what say you? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes, too. All right. Peep Show, Series 7, Episode 3, A Beautiful Mind. You're hereby inducted into the extra hot great canon. Whoops. Da, da, da. Oh, I Double screwed. triumph. I fucked that one up. Da. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Americans love a winner. Yeah. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. All right, it's time for winner and loser of the week. And Tara, I believe you have our winner. No more mashing the keypad with your hand, Dave. <laughs> Nobody will ever hear that. I'm going to edit it out. Oh, all right. Um, Thanks for bringing it up. Uh, sorry. Winner of the week is the City of New York because Bring It On the Musical yes, is it starting is. its Broadway run Woo-hoo. at the St. James Theater in a limited engagement starting July 12th with previews. Uh, the production officially opens August 1st. It's running through October. So excited. If you were are closer to New York than you were to any of the many other cities right. where it was, t- Toronto is where Toronto I think now. it is now, yep. LA, Atlanta, yep. Houston, sure. et cetera. Right. Um, now is the time for you to come to New York and see Bring It On The Musical. Oh my God. I, I cannot wait. recommend it more highly. Yes. Um, loser of the week flirted with making it Dan Harmon because of the news last night that he had been not picked up to be the showrunner for the show's fourth season. But we've been through this before. And I'm not going to kick a dog when it's down. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything. We're all going to be very, very... Winners of the week is us, really, for being so damn classy. <laughs> um, so instead, loser of the week is Alex Pettifer, um, mm-hmm. one of the stars of Steven Soderbergh's Magic Mike. Not that you'd know it. Not that you would know it, although he's all over the trailer, but the thing this week that everybody loved, and rightly so, was the Entertainment Weekly cover, where it starts off with Channing Tatum on the cover, and then you open it up from a center... <laughs> 
part. So it's like he's opening his shirt to reveal him and uh, Matt Bomer and Matthew McConaughey and Joe Manganiello, mm-hmm. um, all within various states of shirtlessness. Sure. And Alex Pettifer, who is like the like the he second is the cuttest one, right? Too. Well, and also like I think like from the because they showed the European trailer this week, right. and there's a lot of like it seems like it's a double narrative now where like not only is Channing Tatum in like the lead role but like this Alex Pettifer is like the young and up and coming one who like his he's sort of the you learn about this world through his character kind of guy Uh but not on the marketing at all and this is supposed to be like the thing that's going to make him a star (laughs) because I am number four failed and (laughs) beastly failed so this is this is strike three waiting to happen for poor Alex Pettifer so Sorry, guy. We wish him luck as we do all super cut Listen, young men. Listen, if he wants to keep taking his shirt off to curry favor with the American public, I am fine with that. Guys, you know what time it is? It's yeah, game time. Yeah, same time. All right. It's the eighth game time. Joe won the first four. Tara oh. came back with the next three. Gulp. It's a yeah. one-point season at this stage. Juncture, today we are playing intense thematic material. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. This comes from uh, return contributor Glenn from filmwonk.net. Okay. This is how it's going to work. You are given the MPAA rating reason. Oh, God. <laughs> and the year of release. Oh. Oh, God. You must name the movie title. Shit. Two points for guessing it outright <laughs> and one point after the hint, if you need it, which is in the form of a lead actor or director in some cases. Oh, I don't feel good about my chances on this one at all. <laughs> all it right. seems so obscure. There okay. are 32 questions. Okay. Some have a lot of context hints in the reason rating. Some you probably will need to get to the hint to piece it together. Sure. Okay. Okay. So I'm just going to I'm gonna give you that. Okay. All right. You don't feel bad about yourself, guys. <laughs> okay. Thanks. All right. Uh, a reminder that the question order has been randomized before the start of the podcast, and we'll now toss it to Picky3000 to see who goes first. And it is Tara. Mm. Picky says Tara is going again. All right. Are we ready to play intense thematic material? Yeah. All right. Tara is going first. The year 1993. Okay. The rating reason rated PG for swashbuckling violence and mild language. 1993. Cutthroat Island? Incorrect. If the hint was Corey Feldman, would you have a different guess? Swashbuckling action in 1993? Yep. Um, no. I didn't know he was in any movies. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) All right, Joe. No, I didn't even know there was a third one. They went to ancient China, I believe. Yes. 2004. Rated PG-13 for violence, language, horror images, slime, and gore. 2004? 2004. Rated PG-13 for violence, language, horror images, slime, and gore. Hint. Lance Hendrickson. Alien vs. Predator. Correct for one point. Nice. Tara. Yep. 1996. Rated PG-13 for intense depiction of very bad weather. 96? 96. Twister. Nice. Two points. Good job. Tar- uh, it Joe. was very bad weather, <laughs> yes, indeed. Was. 2006. Okay. Rated R. Per- persuasive, strong, crude, and sexual content, including graphic nudity and language. 
persuasive or pervasive? Pervasive. Did I say persuasive? Yes. <laughs> Could be Could persuasive be too. Could be both. I have a guess. In fact, I'm convinced it is. <laughs> Noise. Save I it. have a guess, but I think I'm gonna I'm gonna play it safe and ask for a hint. <sighs> Sasha Baron Cohen. Okay, then I'm glad I took the hint. Uh, Borat. Correct. I thought it was Basic Instinct too. All right. Uh, 1998, Tara. Yep. Rated PG-13 for sci-fi monster action slash violence. 1998. PG-13. Sci-fi monster action slash violence. I had no idea that they actually spelled it out like this. Before yeah, yeah. PG-13? Yeah. Hint. Matthew Broderick. Got an answer? Sci- oh, Godzilla. Wow. Glad nice. you got that one. Yeah. Jesus. All right. 1993, Joe. Yes. Rated R for an abundance of outrageous gore. <laughs> 1993. Abundance of outrageous gore. No, this won't mean anything to Joe, but uh, Tara, this is a movie that my nephew tried to get us to watch for a very long time. We never got around to it. Oh. Hint. Uh, Your director is Peter Jackson. Oh, oh, oh. What is it called? There's two titles. Dead Alive? That is one of them. Also known as Brain Dead, apparently. Oh, okay. All right, Tara. Yeah. 1997. Rated PG-13 for disaster-related peril and violence, nudity, sensuality, and brief language. Well, there's one of two things it could be, so I will take the hint. Well, okay. Just say what they are, just so we can understand your thought process. Oh, as I said, I realized, well... All right, do you want the hint? I'm, I think I, one of the possible... I don't want to say it, because that's <laughs> right. No, just give me the hint. Billy Zane. Oh, Titanic. Yeah. The other one I thought it might be was Men in Black. I see. Oh. For Joe. Tommy Jones really shows some ass in Men in Black. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, Joe. 1996, yes. rated R for graphic heroin use <laughs> and resulting depravity, strong language, sex, nudity, and some violence. Transponding. Correct for two points. Right. 1995, Tara, yep. rated R for grisly afterviews of horrific and bizarre killings and for strong language. 1995. Mm. Hint. Gwyneth Paltrow. Seven. Correct for one point. All right. Tenth question coming up for Joe. Yes. Rated P- uh, 2011. Rated PG-13 for uh, disturbing images, violence, sexual partial nudity and some thematic elements I have no idea why <laughs> some thematic elements are 2011 what is it again uh, PG-13 PG-13 hint Robert uh, Pattison alright 2011 was last year Breaking Dawn Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1 not water for elephants. Whoops. <laughs> Picky, shut up. I need a score break. Yeah. Picks, picks, picky wanted a score break, guys. <laughs> I have six. And I have five. Tar- All right. Not doing goose so well on the keyboard today, guys. <laughs> All right, for Tara. Yep. 2000, rated R for intense depiction of drug addiction, graphic sexuality, strong language, and some violence. And then in brackets, edited version. <laughs> Requiem for a dream? Yeah. Correct for two points. Nice. And Joe, yes. 2006, rated PG-13 
four, intense sequences of violent action, a scene of torture, sexual content and nudity in brackets, cut version. I have a strong suspicion. Is R, right? PG-13. Oh, okay. Well, then I have less of a strong suspicion. Hint. Daniel Craig. Mm-hmm. Uh, Casino Royale. <clears throat> and do you think... Uh, I was thinking of The Departed. Was it, is it balls? Is that the yeah. nudity? Yeah. Well, or, and the torture. I think you see his ass, don't you? Oh, yeah. yeah definitely. The tor- but the torture was what... Yeah. 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 No, I was thinking of The Departed until I was PG-13. 1991, Tara. Mm-hmm. Rated R for heavy drug content, bizarre eroticism, and mm-hmm. language. 91. Hint. Peter Weller. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be trouble. That's not a clue. Okay. Peter Weller's a clue. I was just riffing on Robocop. Well, I don't... It's not Robocop. There's no bizarre eroticism Robocop that I'm aware of. Maybe people are into Robocop. Dave, stop talking! Jesus, Dave! I kind of like a fucking robot right now. Now that I think of it. (laughs) I'm going to read that again. Oh, my God. I muddied the waters. 1991. Yeah, Rated R for heavy drug content. Okay, it's Naked Lunch. (laughs) I love you too, Dave. <laughs> to th- I knew it wasn't RoboCop, for the record. I'm just glad you I wasn't, wasn't going to guess that. RoboCop. Okay. I wasn't, okay. or either of its sequels. Okay. Huh. 1992, Joe. Yes. Rated PG-13 for brooding dark <laughs> violence. Brooding dark violence? 1992. Hint. Michael Keaton. 92. Oh. So that takes out Beetlejuice. You know all the brooding dark violence in <laughs> Beetlejuice. Oh. Batman Returns. Nice. Correct. Joe, you're really good at uh, not falling for sequel traps yeah. in, in game time, I've noticed. <laughs> you did give a year. I know, but I'm just saying. I would, I, well, He's a smart man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that, that was a compliment. Okay. 1999, Tara. Yep. Rated PG-13 for intense thematic material and violent images. Year again, please. 1999. PG-13. Intense thematic material and violent images. Hint. Bruce Willis. 99. Gonna need an answer. 1999. Bruce Willis. Die. It's not. Give me an answer. Okay, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Six cents. Six cents. Oh. Yeah. 2009, Joe, rated PG-13 for intense epic battle sequences and warfare, sensuality, language, and some smoking. They're smoking an avatar? (laughs) Avatar is my guess. Two points. Probably Giovanni Ribisi, because he's such a bad guy in that movie. I just hate him so much. (laughs) Number 17. Mm -hmm. He's ready to go. 2010, Tara, rated PG for fantasy action slash violence involving scary images and situations, and for a smoking caterpillar. Alice in Wonderland. Nice. By the way, these aren't made up. We're not making these up. These are are actual (laughs) These are actual ratings. 2011, Joe. Yes. Rated NC-17 for some explicit sexual content. 2011. What was the one last year that was NC-17? Shit, have I forgotten it already? Yes, apparently. All I can think of is Blue Valentine, and that wasn't that year. Um. Oh, oh, shame. Two points. Mm-hmm. 2007, Tara. Yep. 
rated PG-13 for some fantasy violence and risque humor. Two thousand seven. Hint. Michelle Pfeiffer. Fantasy violence, risque humor. Um. Oh, it's that bullshit where the with the star. I don't remember what it's called. Stardust. Oh, Stardust. Very close. I was like Cherie. What? No. Joe, yes. two thousand and one, rated PG thirteen for sustained intense war sequences. Images of Wounded, Brief Sensuality, and Some Language. PG-13? Yep. Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring? Incorrect. Josh Harnett in Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor. All right. That was our 20th question. We're just almost two-thirds of the way through the game. Joe? 12. Tataras? 11. Close game. All right. Uh, So this is to Tara. I just got wrong, so Tara. 2001, yeah. rated PG-13 for intense thematic material, sexual content, and a scene of violence. Well, I'm going to need a hint. <laughs> Paul Bettany, 2001, PG-13. Is it the um, master? No, it's not Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World. Oh, is it A Knight's Tale? Mm. Yes. Beautiful Mind? It is a beautiful mind. Also, the title of intense the intense thematic material in a beautiful mind. That's math, pushing man. it a little. Math in- is intense. <laughs> intense. No, I, that was a misread. It was intense mathematical material. <laughs> All right, uh, Joe. Yes. 1994, rated R on appeal for extensive use of extremely explicit sex-related dialogue. 94. Rated R on appeal. Oh, I want to say. I want to guess it. Is it going to go for glory? Go for broke? Clerks. Yes. Two points gonna say kids uh, oh god that would have been really i think that too. was nc-17 too though. 19- probably for more than just dialogue but yes right 1999 mm-hmm. rated r for disturbing and graphic depiction of violent antisocial behavior sexuality and language i have a guess but i'll take the hint edward norton yeah american history x yeah. is what i was gonna say fight club oh! i gave myself the point i was so <laughs> sure i was right you even nodded i did because that was 98 was American History yeah. X. 1995, Joe, rated PG for language and emotional intensity. Huh. Huh. Wow. 95, yeah. PG. Language, emotional language. intensity. <laughs> so Toy Story's out. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, hint. Kevin Bacon. 95, Kevin Bacon. Murder in the First would not have been a PG movie. 95. Kevin Bacon. I don't know. I don't know. Is it the River Wild? It is not. It is Apollo 13. Oh, right. Apollo 13. I forgot he's in that movie. Tara, 2000. Yep. Rated R for intense graphic combat. 2000. Um... Hint, it's not Saving Private Ryan. Joaquin Phoenix. The Gladiator. Did you just say The Gladiator? No, I said I start. I actually said Gladiator. So, but I meant Gladiator. I hope you guys will let me know. Gladiator. Better than Gladiator. Not quite as good as Gladiator. (laughs) 2012, Joe. Yes. Rated R for crude and sexual content throughout. 
nudity, drugs, drinking, persuasive language, <laughs> reckless behavior, and mayhem, all involving teens. Again, I have a guess. 2012 rated R for all those things. I'm going to play it safe and ask for him. Thomas Mann. Okay. I don't know who Thomas Mann That's is. That's two ends, in case it helps you. Sure. Twice the end, twice the man. Thomas Mann. My guess? Oh, um, Project X? I can't remember what it was called. I was thinking 21 Jump Street, first off. <clears throat> but, All right. Yeah. 2011, mm-hmm. rated PG-13 for violent content, depiction of physical hardships, a nude image, and brief, strong language. Please repeat that. <laughs> 2011, yep. last year. Yes. Rated PG-13. Correct. For violent content. Yep. Depiction of physical hardships. Mm-hmm. A nude image and brief strong language um hint ed harris ed harris was in a movie in 2011 last year apparently. i don't know physical hardships the way back i've never heard of that movie in oh, my I life i saw the way back yeah what the fuck is it that they're in uh they escape from a gulag and they walk all the way to india or something you two made up that movie. <laughs> Peter Weir. We're in cahoots. It. All right, for Joe, 2002. Peter yes. Weir directed baloney. Rated P- <laughs> 2002, rated mm-hmm. PG for some rude humor, language, and some scary action. 2002. I like how these sound like they all could be written by a mom somewhere. Oh, yeah. scary action. <laughs> rude oh. humor. Mm. Hints. Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller. 2002. PG? Uh, yeah. Scooby-Doo? Correct. That was a good answer. Okay, guys, you both have two more questions. I'm out. Just stop. Score break? 12. To Joe's? 16. Uh, it is mathematically... Yeah. Okay. For Tara. Yep. Rated R. Yep. For strong... Year? Year? 2010. Rated R. Yep. For strong, brutal violence throughout, pervasive language, sexual content, nudity, and some drug use, some involving children. Hint. Christopher Mintz-Plass, Placey, whatever you pronounce it. Kick-ass. Correct for one point. How do you pronounce that, please? Christopher Mintz-Plass. Mintz-Plass, okay. Joe, 1994, rated PG-13 for drug content. Some sensuality and war violence. Force gum. Nice. Tara, your last question. Yep. 2003, rated PG 13 for intense epic battle sequences and frightening images. Year again, please? Nin- uh, 2003. And repeat the description PG 13. Yep. Intense battle, intense epic battle sequences and frightening images. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Two points. Wow. Nice. All right. Last one. I only know the years they came out. <laughs> and the reason I know it wasn't it wasn't the second one is because that was the year Catch Me If You Can came out. Right. That, was, that was my thought process. Not that anyone asked. <laughs> 1999. Yes. Rated R yes. for graphic brutal violence, including rape, pervasive language, strong sexuality, and nudity. 99. God, so much 99. Hint. It's 
coming back around again, Edward Norton. 99? Yep. 99 was Fight Club. But Fight Club was the answer to the one that you said. <laughs> you forgot. Got an answer? Fight Club. I don't know. It's American History X. That was 1998. Where is it? Yeah. All I'm right. All shenanigans on all of this, even though I won. No, I don't. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll put an asterisk next to your final score until we can collaborate now. Uh, shits and giggles point? Sure. He's, he's right. All right. MDB has a 98. Very good. Joe, you're better than uh, <laughs> than all the rest. All right. We knew that. 2004. Yes. This is for shits and giggles. Yep. Right. Rated R for graphic crude and sexual humor 40 year old virgin violent images and strong language all involving puppets oh team, team america, america. Nice. correct all right <laughs> well joe yes congratulations thank you joe that's it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We discuss the wettest, the most explosive <laughs> spectacular currently in theaters, and also Battleship, comma, bracket, comedy, brilliant. <laughs> Sudden Mitchell and Webb superfan Tara successfully pitched Peep Shows A Beautiful Mind for the Extra Hot Great canon. We crowned winners and losers of the week, and Joe was the winner of this week's game time. Many thanks to Glenn for the game. For his trouble, Glenn gets an extra credit redeemable for a mini topic of his choosing. We are on Twitter at Extra Hot Podcast, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Extra Hot Great, and on our site at Extra Hot Great.com. Remember, we're listening. <laughs> I am David T. Cole on behalf of Tara Ariano and Joe Reed. Woo! Thanks for listening. We'll see you right here next time on Extra Hot. Great. So what did you think, Jeremy? Wow, that's what I thought. Wowzers, trousers. <laughs>